I'm Narbel. And I'm Chloe. And you're listening to Very Junior Doctors. A podcast made for students by students. You're listening to season two. Welcome everyone to our new episode of Very Junior Doctors. Today is an incredibly special episode because we are joined with members of the GMC. Uh, So for those who don't know what the GMC stands for, it's the General Medical Council. We're here today to debunk some of the myths about the General Medical Council, as well as go into a deep dive as to what they provide for medical schools and medical students. So if you'd like to introduce yourselves. I'll go first then. We're all waiting for everyone else. Um, Hi, my name is Kevin Connor. I am head of quality assurance. So um, I'm part of the team that um, quality assures and visits medical schools. Hi, I'm Astrid. I'm a a doctor and I'm currently working with the GMC as a a leadership fellow. Um, My background is in haematology training. I left medical school around about 10 years ago now um, and I've been working with the GMC since last August. Hi everyone, my name's Chris. I'm a senior regional liaison advisor at the GMC, so I'm part of the GMC's outreach team. So um, we basically go out and deliver sessions on the role of the GMC and the GMC standards to uh, medical students and to doctors of all levels. And we'll probably get into some further discussion around that as we go through the session, I imagine. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your introductions. So I guess our introductory question is, what is the aim of the GMC as an organisation? I'm happy to pick this up and I always think this is quite incredibly boring at times because obviously our role is set out in sort of statute and we have legal responsibilities so what I often do when I meet with medical students or doctors is ask them what do they know about the GMC and I'll usually ask the question are the GMC is our main role to protect patients, to protect doctors, or a bit of both, and usually get a bit of a mixed response. But ultimately, our our legal role is to protect protect patients. So we are a patient protecting organisation, but we do that by providing support to medical students, medical schools, doctors in training. So. I always say to the doctors and students that I meet with when we're out and about that ultimately we're patient protecting organisation, but we can't do that without supporting doctors and students who are ultimately treating patients on a day to day basis. Thank you for your response. Leading on from what you've just said about medical students, what does the GMC provide as support for medical students? Shall I start this one? I'll start this one. So you probably have noticed as medical students yourself that you are not like other students, right? So you you are entering into a a highly regulated profession where, you know, yeah, you can see that you're you're treated differently from from students on other courses, I'd imagine. Um, So, um, yeah, we highly regulate the practice of doctors that... um, do things that are against our standards might come into contact with fitness to practice. None of um, us here are, are from are from that area of the GMC, so we can't talk about that in too much detail. That also doesn't really support you as a medical student, does it? So I'm I'm not answering the question very well. But I think it it does in that that there, there is there is a level of assurance that you are entering into a profession where um, 
where what you do matters and um, you know you're you're held to account and I think that there is a benefit there for for um, doctors and for students so what I do is I lead a team that um, quality assures medical schools so every single medical school that exists and I don't know the exact number because it keeps going up um, is regulated by us. Um, we we allow them um, the powers to award um, medical degrees. We um, were in contact with medical schools um, and we check that they um, are meeting our standards and we're in contact with every year. Um, also, we um, have a very long and detailed process for approving new medical schools. We're about to hopefully approve two new medical schools, so add them to our list of um, awarding bodies. Um, and so that process that is going to happen in the next few months started eight years ago when um, the universities, which are Anglo Ruskin and Aston, first um, wanted to um, set up a medical school. And as part of that, we've been meeting that first cohort of students um, every year, sometimes twice a year, checking on their experiences, uh, checking they're happy with their education, addressing any um, concerns they they raise and putting that back to the school and holding them to account. So. Um, yeah, so when you're when you're a new medical school, I think you come into contact with the GMC a lot, possibly too much, they would say. Um, but I think it's very obvious um, for them that that we are highly involved in in making sure that um, these schools meet our standards and um, continue to improve. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Um, so I was just going to add that obviously, as as the GMC, we want um, we want medical students to become the best doctors as possible. And some of the ways that Kevin's described, obviously, is, is the way we support medical schools to achieve that aim. And we also set um, standards for what we expect for, for you as professionals as well. So we provide guidance and advice to students on placement um, to help you prepare for your career in medicine um, and things like, you know, guidance for um, how to behave on social media. So it's really the guidance is there to support you and, and to be the best you can be in your clinical careers moving forward forwards and I'm sure Chris will come on to talk about the outreach role um, for students as well because he knows a lot more about that than me. Yeah thanks Astrid so I guess in in a way outreach sort of put into practice what Astrid has just explained and follows on from the role that Kevin's team play and I often meet with students and doctors and say that actually the role that the GMC play in the quality assurance of education I think is probably the least well-known aspect of the GMC's role and many doctors and students that I meet with don't realise that oversight that we have in terms of quality assurance. So we try and do a lot of promotion around that. But ultimately, the outreach team, so we I'm based in the northwest of England, so just outside of Manchester. I will go to medical schools and to trusts around the northwest region and will meet with students and, and doctors. But there is somebody like myself in every region within England and also within the the, the three nations as well, so Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. So we are regionally based and we basically try and engage with students and doctors as much as we can. So we have no sort of legal right to meet with doctors or students. So we can't, it, it's ultimately up to each individual medical school to invite us in and allow us to deliver GMC sessions. So 
what that means is we don't always get the consistent approach that we'd like but we would generally try and meet with most cohorts of students in year one to introduce you to as Kevin said quite a sort of highly regulated profession that you will be entering at the end of your degree um, we then usually look for something towards the end of second year or start of third year because that's often when placements start and we know that that's sort of a, a big change for students and then we would aim to meet with most students in year five either as part of your ID check that you you guys will do at some point in the future um, or just as a general sort of preparing for joining the register once you've graduated and the sessions that we run sort of touch on everything that Astrid mentioned so we we focus on the GMC guidance so we talk about achieving good medical practice we'll bring in social media guidance maintaining boundaries sort of stuff that is about professionalism really and recognizing you know, ultimately as as Kevin said right at the start that you are treated differently as students to other students who you will be sort of alongside on on campus and then when you become a doctor you're obviously held to a very high standard in terms of the expectations on on you so sort of I see the role of outreach as just ensuring that students know about these expectations and ultimately pre preparing you for joining the register as a as an F1 doctor in the future so we, yeah, we try and engage with students as much as possible really and provide that support so it's a really comprehensive and useful answer from all three of you about you know the role of the GMC and how it relates to medical schools and students there is well there seems to be I know on behalf of Chloe and I you know just speaking from our medical school in particular there's a little bit of fear around the GMC and there are some preconceptions of the GMC that they're you know they're this um I guess authoritarian kind of body that you know is ready to um to call students up on, on bad behavior and stuff like that but from your answer you know it's really reassuring to know that there are multiple kind of aspects to the GMC and the way that they support medical students how do you think you know we could kind of bridge this gap between medical students and the GMC surrounding the sphere I'll, I'll just start off there and then hand over to Astrid because I think there's there's often a, a misconception from students that the GMC are sort of responsible for fitness to practice at medical school and that's that's not actually correct so until you're a doctor on the register and you have your GMC number and you're paying your fees on an annual basis you don't fall in you know if you do something wrong at medical school that will be up to your medical school and your university to have their local processes to carry out investigations once you get to the point where you're joining the register it might potentially impact on that sort of registration process but the figures off my off the top of my head are usually single single figure doctors who don't get who don't gain registration at the end of fifth year so it, it's it's tiny numbers of doctors who do something wrong of students who do something wrong at medical school who then don't you know get to join the register so it, I think it's a bit of explaining that to students and making sure students know that until you are a doctor the GMC don't have that role in in terms of managing fitness to practice I think the second part of it then is the, the general perception of of the profession so I spend lots of time going and meeting with doctors and 
the vast majority of doctors I meet with want to talk to us about fitness to practice because doctors have concerns about it. You see things on social media that sort of highlight snippets of cases, high profile areas. So I think there's a bit of maybe we need to introduce those discussions at a, a lower level, if you like. So when we're meeting with medical school students as outreach, should we be discussing some of these sort of fears and some of these you know, misconceptions that, that students might have? So I think there's something that we're considering at the moment that actually possibly just the world that we live in now, sort of everything's at a touch of a button, isn't it? You go onto social media, you go onto the internet, you can find information about everything. Maybe we need to start having these discussions at an earlier stage with students to give you as students the opportunity to ask us those questions that you've got, but also to allow us to explain actually you know, these horror stories that you read online often aren't always sort of a true representation of, of what is happening on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think there's a bit of that communication that that we need to do when we're meeting with students. Yeah, no, I, I agree with 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 what Chris has said. I think, you know, we've all worked really hard to be where we are, you know, students and, and doctors, and that sometimes there is a fear that, you know, something might happen that might take that that hard work away but I think as Chris has said it really is about education and understanding what the GMC's role is and how those processes work and it can be really hard to absorb all that as a medical student um, so I think yeah working together and having these sorts of conversations and, and trying to explore where those fears are coming from is really really important um, I was also going to pick up on what Chris said about social media and I think it is really easy to to find negative things online and, and that's you know that's across the board really isn't it when, when we talk about healthcare it's, it's easy to find the bad news stories and, and sometimes the good news is a little bit more difficult to get out there um, but obviously having this conversation with you both today has given us the opportunity to share some of that which is really great um, and I think also finally um, before before I, I let somebody else speak um, you know the GMC is definitely an organisation that's open to learning and I think you know no, nothing is perfect in, in the world is, is it but I think as long as we learn from where we've come from in the past um, and try to work together and collaborate on some of these really important topics and um, you know and I think we're starting from a good place. I'll add something because obviously um, I'm from the education um, part of the General Medical Council and obviously what we do um, in in the wider doctor community is definitely overshadowed by um, what we do as a as a regulator of doctors and fitness to practice. But in actual fact, your chances of coming into contact with our fitness to practice director are minuscule when you're a doctor. It really is. But in education, we have an impact on on the education of every doctor. They just don't know about it. So, um, so I don't know. Obviously, the, the the clear answer there is, oh, we should just tell people. But I, I don't know. People aren't interested in. It's hard. It's hard to know how to communicate that properly. But your medical school will be aware of what we do, and maybe maybe they're the ones who are scared of the authoritarian GMC coming coming to town and, and bothering them. I, I hope not, because I don't think that's how we operate. But um, but yeah, that that side of what we do is definitely overshadowed, and I don't think we'll, it will ever not be overshadowed. I think one big thing that you all mentioned was the education and the quality improvement of medical schools. And thank you for breaking some of those fears and perceptions that I know some of our listeners would have. 
because I think so much anticipation and worry is surrounding the GMC and um, from the insight of medical students or because they don't have the education and the understanding of what the actual role is of um, GMC. Um, so thank you again for sharing some of those myth breakers, shall we say. Um, so just moving on to one of our next questions. So you've slightly touched on this earlier, but we were wondering what is perhaps the main primary role of the GMC, particularly for uh, clinical years, so third years and F, and foundation training? Okay, uh, I'll, I'll take this. So, I mean, first of all, we have standards that we expect medical schools to meet that cover um, what happens in, in your clinical years at medical school. Um, we've actually just released guidance on um, what you as medical students should expect from your clinical placement. So I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, I'm not going to quote it um, exactly because it's not a memory test, but we, we cover things like um, how you should be treated, um, what you should expect in terms of education. We cover um, equality and diversity issues that and your expectations there as medical students. Um, so that's that's part of what we do. So we um, we set the standards and we quality assure against them. Um, so for it, going into foundation, we are we quality assure um, your postgraduate training all the way to CCT, and um, we do we do a lot in this area. So one of the main um, bits of feedback we get from um, every doctor in training is through our national training survey where each year we ask um, every doctor in training to complete a survey um, telling us about their experiences in training and it gives them an opportunity to raise and highlight issues. It has a very high response rate and that makes it incredibly powerful because I don't think any survey out there has such a high response rate and such a widespread of um, doctors responding. And it is really, um, it gives us really powerful um, evidence and information which we can use to to hold organisations to account. So when the survey results come out, um, trusts throughout the country probably do get quite nervous waiting to see if they've got a lot of red flags or, um, or if they've made improvements. Um, so we work with um, Post, what used to be called deaneries, but now, now we now they keep changing their names. So actually, I don't actually know the real name because it used to be Health Education England, but they've just merged with NHS England Education. I think that might be their name. So and organisations in um, in in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland who quality manage um, your training. So they they organise placements, they organise the um, the delivery of um, postgraduate curricula. And we work with these organisations to make sure that issues raised by doctors through the survey or through other means are appropriately addressed. So that could mean um, in very serious cases us exercising our regulatory powers and that could um, result in us attaching conditions on our approval of training in a hospital, for instance, or ultimately removing um, the ability for that hospital to have doctors in training. Um, obviously, that's quite a severe um, course of action, and we have a lot of steps that we take before that to prevent it and to ensure uh, Im improvements. But yeah, we're we're very highly involved in in this field. I think the risks when you're um, 
when you're not a medical student and you're working are obviously a lot higher because this is when doctors come into contact with patients and start doing the job. So, so we have a, we, we have a, a lot of processes um, put in place to, um, to identify and address those risks. I think that this probably highlights what Kevin just said is this really important role that we have at the GMC, which actually I think probably a lot of students and certainly a lot of doctors in training don't realise that oversight that we have in terms of your medical school education or you know the delivery of your sort of postgraduate education and training. So I think it is really important that we continue to try and raise awareness of that. I guess from an outreach perspective and my role and my team at the GMC is you know kind of maybe a bit more practical support if you like so we would try and as I said earlier meet with medical students towards the end of year two or at the start of year three to talk about some of the challenges that you might face when you go on to, to placement and we'll we'll talk about sort of different case studies we might show you a, a case study where you might need to raise a concern about somebody who you're working with on on ward and the, I think that the case study we often use is if a doctor who is supervising you comes onto the ward and they're smelling of alcohol so sort of what what are you, what's the expectations on you of a medical as a medical student there what steps can you take ultimately to end up you know ensuring that patients are protected so we talk through sort of those practical kind of tips with you will signpost achieving good medical practice because ultimately if you have a good knowledge of that you know what the expectations are of the doctors that you're working with when you're on placement and then again we, we follow that through to your foundation training where we generally would meet with most foundation doctors two or three times a year both in f1 and f2 and we deliver sessions on all of the core GMC guidance. So confidentiality, decision making and consent, raising concerns, social media, professionalism. We sort of at that earliest stage of, of a doctor's career, ultimately, we, we try and ensure that you've got that good understanding of the guidance, because ultimately, as, as Astrid said earlier, the guidance is there to support you as students and, and doctors. I say to most doctors I meet with, I don't expect that any doctor or student has ever read all of the GMC guidance cover to cover. There are 32 pieces of guidance that you know is an unrealistic ask. But what's really important is that you know that the guidance exists because if you find yourself in difficulty and there is nobody around who you can ask a question or who can support you, then getting your phone out having a look at the confidentiality guidance or the prescribing guidance might just help you make the right decision there or at least give you a basis for making the decision in that given you know at that given time so it's about socializing the guidance making sure you know it exists and, and trying to offer that support because if you know it exists at the start of your career then hopefully it stays with you you know for the next 20 30 years that you will hopefully be be practicing as a doctor I guess I should add as well, um, which relates to Chris's um, explanation that we've got the ethical um, hub on the website as well, which is available to access, which, as Chris says, translates some of that um, guidance into kind of 
realistic uh, workplace-based scenarios that's um, available for you to look at if you did come across scenarios where you weren't sure um, what the right course of action might be. There's some really helpful advice and pointers in there as well. The points that were raised about just using, you know, the GMC guidance as a, I guess, safety net as well. You know, when you, like you said, if you have no one else to turn to and you are truly lost about what to do in, in certain clinical situations, referring to that guidance and just having that readily available for you would be so comforting to so many students and professionals as well. So I guess just moving on to one of our final questions um, about the GMC and the community surrounding the GMC. It's a body that's there to help and support medical students as well as professionals. But we were wondering, you know, for any listeners who are potentially aspiring or current medical students, how could they get involved in the GMC? I'll start with this. So um, I, you, many of your listeners might already know that we've got the GMC News for Students, which you can sign up for, um, which you can access from the website. Um, and it keeps you up to date with you know, current topics, advice, um, opportunities to get involved in things the GMC are doing as well. So it's all on there. Um, we actually have the privilege of having two medical students with us on their elective at the moment, which is really lovely. So they're with us for six weeks. Um, so that's obviously another um, opportunity if you're really keen to see um, more about how the GMC works. Um, they're a really good asset to our team at the moment. Um, and then I guess finally, obviously, there's this kind of a social media presence that you can follow um, via all the, the usual avenues as well, where we share updates related to things that are going on at the moment. I, I guess I'd add from, from our team's point of view. So we um, periodically recruit medical students to um, to join our visits. So we, we're not planning this in the near future because we did a, a, a large recruitment round last year, I think. Um, but basically, um, when we visit a medical school to check to check it's meeting our standards, it's really important to include the, the learner voice in in our in our in our visits. So um, yeah, if you want to travel, maybe not the world, but the UK, and you want to visit other medical schools and see um, see see how how things are done there. Um, sometimes traveling the world is involved, but um, that's very, quite rare. Um, yeah, then um, keep an eye on um, when we advertise those roles because um, it's a it's a really important part of what we do. I'd just follow on from that and it sounds quite sort of cheesy really to say keep an eye on the GMC website, but we do advertise those sorts of roles. We often recruit what we call GMC associates. So um, they work all over the GMC. So we have associates in fitness to practice. We have associates who help with sort of the PLAB and clinical assessment roles that we do. Um, within outreach, we deliver a programme of work that we call Welcome to UK Practice. So that's a free half day workshop, which is for any doctors who have gained their primary medical qualification outside of the UK. And the vast majority of that work is delivered by GMC associates. A vast number of those are, are doctors who do it you know, as, as an extra to their day-to-day -day work, if you like. So do keep an eye on the, the GMC website. If you go onto the website, you can look at events that we've got coming up, events that um, Charlie might be attending in future. And there's also a speaker request section. So if any of your listeners wanted somebody from the GMC to come and speak to them in future, they can put that request through. Lots of those would come through to, to my team in outreach and we'd then make contact and look at coming along to either medical schools or 
with different organisations that you might be involved in. Amazing, thank you. And there's a lot of different ways in which students and professionals can get involved with the GMC, which is lovely to see. Um, so just to round off uh, this podcast episode, does anybody have any final words they'd like to share with our listeners? Okay, I think we've spoken a bit about the perceptions of the GMC uh, as the the big bad regulator and somebody as a doctor you don't want to really um, hear from. Um, but I, I guess I'd say that um, our role and our size does give us a, a big voice and um, we we do use that voice to advocate for education. So w- when you um, hopefully graduate and, and enter into um, clinical training, education is always highly pressured. I mean, obviously we know that, that um, the NHS is is under in, under an enormous amount of pressure at the moment, and education is often in a highly pressured organisation the thing that gets squeezed, and the thing that get gets pushed aside and um, in favour of clinical commitments. And we're very clear in our role as 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 the regulator for education and training that that can't happen, that that is a patient safety issue, and that that education is is a vital part of of what the nhs does and and we do hold organizations to account in order to do that so um yeah the 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 largest of the organization and um the fact that everybody's scared of us is actually useful when when we're when we're when we're advocating for education thanks kevin yeah agree and um, I was just going to say as a final few words that um, you know how important and valuable the National Training Survey is for all the reasons Kevin's mentioned you know it's a really important way of, of, of trainees sharing their views both good and bad um, you know hopefully we can share good practice and, and also um, look at areas where standards aren't being met across education and improve the you know clinical environments the working environments the cultures within our organizations through feeding back through this survey so that's kind of my last little um little comment for the day i'll probably just add to what kevin and astrid has said that we we absolutely recognize the pressure that doctors in the nhs and then students who are on placements in the nhs are faced with on a day-to-day basis and i think sort of now more than ever it's vitally important that you as students are looking after your own well-being and you're looking after each other's well-being and the same goes for for practicing doctors and again i think the there can sometimes be that fear for students and doctors to be open and honest about you know potentially mental health concerns about things that might be affecting you outside of the medical school or the workplace and i, I would just encourage any listeners you know, to be open and honest and s- to seek that support because ultimately you are the, the doctors of the future and we need you to be looking after yourselves in order for you to be able to to look after the patients to the best of your ability in the future and there shouldn't be any fears around being open and seeking that support whether it be from your medical school from the organizations that you're working in or, or ultimately come into the GMC for for help and support in that area. Lovely. Thank you all for sharing your final words, in particular the last um, point by Chris about well-being, and um, that's really, really important, especially um, post-COVID as well. Um, so just a final um, word of thanks to all of our guest speakers today um, from the GMC for sharing their expertise knowledge with us, all about uh, the GMC and myth-breaking. 
um, some of the conceptions that medical students and professionals may have with the organisation. Um, so please do follow them on all their social media uh, pages and um, have a look at their guidance if you need to also. Um, so just again, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Very Junior Doctors. Check us out on Instagram at Very Junior Doctors and check Chloe's page out at The Medic Map. Hope to see you in our next episode.